A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. To Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And our Malava Malka episode this week is in honor of the upcoming yard site of Rabbi Akivitzlik Ruderman, the uh, famed Rosh Hashiva of Ner Yisrael. So we'll talk a little bit about Ner Yisrael, the Yeshiva, Rav Ruderman, stories about Rav Ruderman, and stories about the Yeshiva, and of course, the other uh, uh, important figures that were part of the yeshiva history. Um, before I get to that, we'll just read a couple of letters and corrections from the previous episode we recently had um, on Seattle. So first I got a, a lot of corrections. I mentioned a rabbi in who his Seattle origins, Rabbi Mark Angel, and I incorrectly pronounced it as Angel, so uh, many were quick to correct it that uh, it's pronounced Angel. Um, and here's a, another letter I got, this is great. Um, I'll quote the relevant passage. I think Rabbi Maimon Zechreinu Levracha would have preferred that you use the Sephardic pronunciation of Shabbat, when you told the story of his father talking to his children, end quote. So, of course, that's definitely the correct pronunciation. And here was another one. Um, again, I'm quoting another Seattle-born uh, born, uh, Jew that you, that you, you could have mentioned was the famous actor Stephen Hill. Um, and I'm, I'm skipping, but here's one of the stories that this uh, letter shared about Stephen Hill. Um, I guess the reason I didn't mention him was that it's just like it was just an impossible mission to mention and talk about Stephen Hill. But in any event, here's a story that this uh, letter letter writer shared. So here I'm quoting this uh, story as well. He and his first wife divorced after he became a Baal Teshuva. He remarried and raised a second family who grew up without having a TV in the house and without knowing anything about movies. One day he got a call from Dustin Hoffman. His teenage daughter answered the phone and the famous actor asked to speak with Stephen Hill. 
His daughter said her father was not home and asked who was calling. He said, tell him Dustin called. She responded, Dustin who? Yehi Zichroi Baruch. That's the end of that story. Good story. I just mentioned as an aside, because I neglected to mention Stephen Hill, so it happens to be that when we do our uh, tours of Harazesim, the, the Jewish cemetery there, so Stephen Hill's kever is one of the ones we go to. He's actually buried in prime real estate, right near the altar of Slabatka, Rav Cook, near all the uh, big, uh, great Torah leaders. So there we we do go to his uh, his kever. The next coming up city we're doing, by the way, this week is Philly. Um, we're excited to do Philadelphia. Loads of Jewish history there, so stay tuned for that. Um, that should be a good one. And now let's move over to Ner Yisrael. So first of all, it's a disclaimer, um, because recently, a few weeks ago, we had one a, about Besa Talmud Yeshiva, and I, I think I emphasized at the beginning that it's not going to be a comprehensive history about Besa Talmud. It's only some stories and memories that we're sharing, um, and uh, apparently that was misunderstood, and there were certain expectations that there was supposed to, it was going to be a comprehensive, systematic history of the yeshiva. So I want to make it clear about Nehru Yisrael that I'm not, at this point, maybe some future time, going through a, an entire narrative of the yeshiva's history, which is an important one, and hopefully we'll get to it one day, but rather it's more anecdotal, uh, stories, tidbits, uh, highlights uh, throughout the yeshiva's history, but not a, a systematic, uh, thorough um, um, uh, relating the history of the yeshiva. Um, and uh, hopefully there'll be, there'll be a few parts to this, of these stories. It won't be all in one part. It's really a, um, can't fit it all into one. And I want to take the opportunity to thank... Um, an alumnus of the yeshiva, Rafal Davidovich, who was very gracious and shared many memories and stories that he heard um, from the yeshiva's history and about the different personalities, or Ruderman and others. And of course, how could we not mention Eli Neuberger for sharing uh, his inside uh, family history with about the yeshiva and, um, and others. There were several others as well who shared their memories. So that was uh, memories or stories, either way, so we incorporate it all in here. So thank you. Um, so we're going to go through some stories about the life of Ruderman, who's definitely the most important and central personality in the story of Nari Yisrael. We'll talk about the founding and the development of the yeshiva. We'll talk about the phenomenon of college in the yeshiva and how that played a role in the yeshiva's history. We're going to talk about the different rabbeim and uh throughout the yeshiva's history also, and then we'll try to get also, maybe I don't know if in part one, but maybe either part two, or maybe we'll need a part three of stories about Rav Ruderman, um, devote a whole section to just stories about Rav Ruderman, being that he was the central uh, person, and Rosh Yeshiva, and founder, and really the figure of the yeshiva throughout its history. So we'll start actually with his life, uh, about Rav Ruderman's biography, not... Again, not a thorough treatment of his biography, but just a few highlights from his life. Uh, Ruderman um, came to Slabatka, a student of the altar of Slabatka. He came at a, quite a young age, 13 or 14 years old, and he remained there for many years. He was there for many years through World War I, and he came back to Slabatka after World War I, and then even following his marriage, 
He stayed in the Kavna Kail, so he was he was a real, real Slabatka through and through. And while he was in Slabatka, one of his roommates in the Shtanze, that was what they called the rooms where the yeshiva students and any yeshiva stayed, when they stayed with locals, they would rent rooms with locals. So at one point, one of his roommates was a young man, uh, a fellow by the name of Shaul Lieberman, who later on was the famous Rabbi Saul Lieberman, and that was his roommate. Now apparently, even at that young age, the altar of Slobodka, Rabbi Nassim Finkel, he apparently, uh, it's unclear what the influence was, but apparently the altar was suspicious of, of a somehow there being a negative influence from Saul Lieberman on Rev. Ruderman while they were in Slobodka together, and he did not want him to be roommates with him. And so he he actually invited Rav, the young Rev. Ruderman to be to sleep in his home. So Ruderman had the unique um, opportunity, uh, really a special uh, opportunity that he had to be living in the altar of Slobodka's home. I remember speaking to a a, a student of Rav Ruderman, and he said, so it's clear from this story that uh, that he was the closest Talmud of the altar of Slobodka. There's a big rivalry, apparently, about who was the greatest student of the altar of Slobodka, and many uh, you know, claim the the honor of being so, whether it's Rav Ram Grzynski, uh, who the Mashkiach of Slobodka was killed by the Nazis, or it was Rav Chatzkel Sarna, or it was Rav Meir Chodash, or uh, or Rav Ruderman, or Rav David Leibowitz of Chavetz Chaim, or uh, or Yaakov Kamenetsky. Yeah, there's a long list of people who possibly are candidates for that position, but uh, I'm not going to get involved in in, in that because uh, it's beyond me to to decide. Probably beyond anyone. But one um, when Rav Ruderman was uh, was in the yeshiva, so when he was 14 years old, shortly after he arrived. So Rav Ruderman's father passed away. And uh, as the altar did with several of his students in different scenarios, the altar withheld the letters from home from Dolhina, which is the same place that Rav Yaakov who was his cousin, came from. He withheld those letters, um, uh, notifying Rav Ruderman that his father had passed away. And, uh, and the altar went ahead and said Kaddish, since, since Rav Ruderman was not going to be saying Kaddish, since he didn't know about it, since the altar kept the letters. So the altar went ahead and said Kaddish for his student's father, who had passed on. Later on, when the altar informed him several months later, he related to him the famous story of an earlier similar episode with Reb Chaim Velazhiner in the early years of the Velazhin Yeshiva, that he withheld the letters from Slutsk uh, that were arriving for his prized Talmud, Rabbi Yassila Slutsker, Rabbi Yassila Famer, who was later on the Slutskerov, and um, we actually went to his kever in Slutsk once, and uh, Rabbi Chaim Velazhner withheld the letter uh, that informed him that the family business had burned down and asking him to come back. So the altar justified his actions of not notifying Ruderman by using that as a precedent, that his learning, that the learning that Ruderman was doing his total focus and concentration was a to great merit and to for, for, enabled him for his future growth. When uh, the Sefer Ar Sameach of Rameir Simcha of Dvinsk arrived in Slabatka, it was uh, it was when Rav Ruderman was was uh, was again a young student there. So everyone wanted to 
to study from this new, great, incredible sefer of one of the great leader Torah scholars of the generation, the Arsameach, Rameir Simcha, the Rav of Dvinsk, and they only received one copy. So they, they, they divided the day, 24 hours of the day, into shifts, and everyone got a different shift, a slot, half hour or whatever it was, an hour, two hours, of, of when they got to study from the Arsameach. And Rav Ruderman's shift was in the middle of the night, so he actually learned by the moonlight. He went outside and woke up in the middle of the night to get the Arsameach. That was the excitement that he had personally and the Slabatki Yeshiva in general had for, to be able to learn from the Arsameach. Ruderman himself was a, a gain, a, a great, great mind. He loved Sfarim in general. He knew, and it was something that he was very well known for, he loved a variety of Sfarim, and he knew many of them, and he used to learn Shilas Uchuva Sfarim, many obscure ones and lesser known ones. He would study them from cover to, the, to cover, and he was able to quote very often from them verbatim uh, many years later, many random Sfarim that most people did not know. And he had a, uh, definitely a brilliant mind, the altar uh, of Slabatka, actually, one of the reasons he loved him so much, because the altar had, I would call it a, a weakness or a special place in his in his uh, in his heart and his education for the iluyim for the geniuses and the yeshiva, there are many who experienced that closeness uh, to the altar because of that. Yaakov Kamenetsky, Rabbi Aaron, Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg, others, and uh, and Ruderman was one of the recipients of that uh, special attention to the altar also because of his his uh, capabilities. Uh, Rabbi Ruderman actually left Slabotka at one point to go study in Raden, which was against the altar's advice but he did it anyway. He went to Raden, and he was there for six weeks, and he came run, running back to Slabatka. But he related that during that time, he got to experience being by the Chavetz Chaim, and the Chavetz Chaim used to give shmuzin in his house. And one time, the Chavetz Chaim didn't give a shmuz. And he said, he explained, the Chavetz Chaim explained, I can't give a shmuz because I was very busy with a lot of meetings and other things today, and I didn't have time to learn Torah today. And if I didn't study Torah today, then I'm unfit to give a shmuz. That was uh, how the Chavetz Chaim uh, saw his role. And Rav Rudiman used to repeat that. Either way, so eventually he married um, the Rosh Hashiva of Slabatka's niece, um, the daughter of Rav Sheftel Kramer, which was, you know, Rav Sheftel Kramer was one of the sons-in-law of the uh, famed uh, Kovna, really Alaksut, a suburb of Kovna, uh, famous wealthy Balmusser, Talmud of Yisrael Salanter, Rabbi Shagafayvel Frank, so one of the sons-in-laws. Rabbi Shemot was a son-in-law, and Rabbi Sezama was a son-in-law. Rabbi Sheftel Kramer uh, was also a son-in-law. And Rabbi Ruderman marries his daughter. So he becomes a nephew of his Rosh uh, Excuse me, a... Yeah, he becomes a nephew of the Rosh Shiva. He also becomes a nephew of Rabbi Sezama Neltzer, which makes him a first cousin with Rabbi Aaron Cutler, because Rabbi Aaron Cutler was a son-in-law of Rabbi Sezalman. So he was already cousins of Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, and now he's cousins with Rabbi Aaron, and nephew uh, to two of the great Rashi Yeshiva of the generation. So he really is involved with the great uh, Torah aristocracy of his day. Um, and uh, later on, when um, in that, later on when he was the Rashi Yeshiva of Yisrael, he he saw his role as not limited to just being working for in Neri Yisrael and being an educator and being a Torah teacher in, in, in the yeshiva, but rather he saw himself as uh, and believed 
that his his role is to work for the Klal, for the Jewish people, beyond his yeshiva, for the Baltimore Jewish community, which he was very much involved in, for the Agudas Yisrael, which he served on the Mayatzes. He was involved in the Agudas Rabbanim. He was even involved, uh, at least at least to a limited extent, uh, in the Mizrahi local in, in Baltimore and during the 1950s and 60s. He was involved in Torah Masora, in Ezra's Torah, in, in, a, in a various organizations that in, enabled him to have an influence on the larger Jewish community as well. Um, Rudiman and, and almost all of his communal activities were together with his legendary brother-in-law, who we'll get to also later on, either later on now or in part two of this, uh, or part three, um, but the, he with Rabbi R- R- Naftali, Rabbi Herman Neuberger, um, all the communal activities they did together, and they were very involved in the Baltimore Jewish community. Rabbi Ruderman used to make a public uh, uh, donation to the Federation of Baltimore, $100, in the days when $100 actually was a lot of money. He gave an annual donation, in one of the few places that that uh, that the yeshiva, the, the local you know, what we would call yeshiva yeshiva, and the rush yeshiva would be involved with the federation like that, and uh, and the Talmidim of Ner Yisrael and Rabbi Neuberger were very involved with the federation as a result, and uh, and were able to influence. So we move along to the actual founding of Ner Yisrael. Um, Rav Ruderman makes it to America, which we'll get to in a second. How did he make it there? But his first position in the United States, his father-in-law, Sheftel Kramer, had already moved to the United States, so he joined him in the New Haven Yeshiva together with uh, with the Rosh Yeshiva there of Yehuda Levenberg. And then later on, there was also a short stint in Cleveland. That didn't really work out. There was some sort of dintaira there, and he left to found Ner Yisrael. Now after this this stint in the New Haven Yeshiva, Rav Ruderman wasn't sure what he should do, so he sent a letter to Rav Chaim Grzenski in Vilna, who he was very close with. He knew him very, very well. He was, uh, Ruderman was close with a lot of the great Torah leaders of the day. One of the things that he enjoyed doing when he was young in Slabatka was getting a connection to some of the greatest Torah leaders of the day in Slabatka, which was a suburb of Kovna. So he got to know the Kovna Rav, Rav Ram Dovber Shapiro, the, the, the Dvar of Ram. He knew many other uh, great Torah leaders uh, of, of, of that time. I mentioned the Chavetz Chaim also. He got to know Reb Leib Rubin, the Rav of Vilkamir. He used to speak to him in learning. He met Reb Yosef Leib Bloch of Telj and, uh, and other, and other uh, great G'dayle Yisrael. Either way, getting back to Reb Chaim Eizer, he, um, he sent a letter to him. Reb Chaim Eizer had written a haskama uh, to his, his sefer that he had written as a very young um, when he was very young, he was in his 20s, in, um, when he was still back in, 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 in Europe. Uh, he wrote a sefer on Kutchim called Avedas Levi, and Reb Chaim Eizer wrote a approbation to this sefer. So he re- writes this letter, should I come back to Europe? Should I come back to Lithuania? The position that I had in the New Haven Yeshiva did not work out. Should I come back? Reb Chaim Eizer says to him, don't come back, you'll become a Rosh Yeshiva here in Europe. So what are you going to do if you become a Rosh Yeshiva in Europe? You'll anyways have to go fundraising in the United States. So you might as well stay in the United States and have a Yeshiva there. Why should you come back to Europe? So which brings us back to his original decision. How did he end up in the United States altogether? So when he was still in Europe, one of the people he asked advice from was Reb Meir Barilan. 
Rameir Berlin, the son of the Netziv. So Rudiman asked him advice a couple of times. Rudiman once said that Rameir Barilan was a wise person, and it was it was when you asked him advice, he had he had a lot of wisdom to share when uh, to analyze a situation. So he asked him, should he stay in Lithuania or should he move to the United States? So he said to him, he said to him, if you stay in Lithuania, then you'll be able to write another another Sefer Avodas Levi. You'll have a second volume of Avodas Levi. You'll be able to write a third volume of Avodas Levi. But if you move to the United States, you'll be able to influence people. You'll be able to teach Tyra. You'll create Talmidim. And uh, and therefore, you sh- your future should be over there. Yeah, Ruderman also once had a a offer to be a, get a position in Merkaz Harav of Rav Kook to move to Eretz Yisrael. So he again asked Rameir Barilan, should he take that position? And he said, Merkaz Harav already has a Kayan Gadol and a Nazir. There's not going to be any position of leadership that you'll be able to find there. He meant the Kayan Gadol of Rav Kook, and the Nazir was Rav David Kayan, the, the famous uh, the Rav HaNazir. So he stayed in in uh, in 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 America in in America. He was already done beforehand with the Kavanah Kail. He had moved to America. Now he's going to stay in uh, in America. And he founds this new yeshiva near Yisrael. So that we come to the decision that he is going to start near Yisrael. So we'll continue in part two with how did he found the yeshiva and how did the yeshiva develop. So this was. Uh, Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites, part one of stories of Ner Yisrael and Rav Ruderman. And you can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeberer.com, G-E-B-E-R-E-R. For questions, comments, sources, tours, and trips, including virtual tours, you could subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Check out our website at YehudaGeberer.com. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.